News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman. In association with AIR on News Talk. Taoiseach Leo Vladker, good morning. Morning, thanks for having me. Uh, disappointment today, the, uh, the, the, the truce delayed, the hostage for prisoner swap delayed. Um, what are you hearing from your uh, Department of Foreign Affairs uh, contacts in the Middle East? Yeah, so, so it's hard to get accurate information um, because the situation is dynamic and changing every day. Um, but the information that we have is that the agreement on the ceasefire and the hostage and prisoner exchange is still happening. Um, but most likely it'll be tomorrow before we see it coming into effect. It'll be a four-day ceasefire, uh, the release of 50 hostages held um, by Palestinian militant groups in in, in Gaza, so mainly children and uh, women who have children uh, being released. And in return, uh, Israel will release 150 prisoners um, who are in their jails. And again, mainly women and teenage boys being being released. Um, and in the meantime, there will be no military actions happening for those four days. So we're hoping, obviously, that the Irish-Israeli girl, uh, Emily Hand, is going to be released. She is on the priority list. Um, but speaking to my contacts in, in the region, um, it's even Hamas isn't clear exactly where everyone is. You know, It operates on the basis of cells. There's other groups involved too. So you know, we'll only know in the next few days as to whether she's one of those being released. But she's certainly on, on the priority list. So... I think all her thoughts are with her and uh, and her family. Um, can't imagine what a traumatic experience like that is, being held captive in a tunnel away from your family. Um, so hopefully she's out uh, in the next few days. And, you know, maybe I'm I'm a foolish optimist, but if there can be a ceasefire for four days, maybe there can be a ceasefire for a longer period. Do you think? I, th- I think it's possible that there's some suggestions that um, it could be extended if more hostages are released. Uh, of course, it creates some breathing space to get fuel, food, medicine, humanitarian aid into Gaza, which is so important. Um, but there's no there's no military solution to this uh, Israel-Palestine question. We've had 75 years now of war and terrorism and occupation and dispossession and, uh, you know, people throwing extreme arguments and alternative, alternative histories at each other. The truth is there are... 14 million people now living uh, in what was mandatory Palestine between the river and the sea, as some people say. Um, they either have to live together or they have to live in two separate states. There is no, there, I don't see any, any alternative. There's n- no way that one side can defeat the, the other militarily, notwithstanding Israel's extraordinary military power. Uh, you, you spoke in the Dáil uh, the other day and you said, we can't continue to aid Palestine and trade with Israel in the way we've done in the mm. past. What did you mean by that? Yeah, so I, I think the European Union's policy um, towards Israel and Palestine has been very passive. Um, when it comes to Israel, we uh, generally trade with Israel and engage with Israel as though it were a normal Western European democracy that wasn't occupying uh a good part of somebody else's country and when it comes to Palestine and the PA and even Hamas and the Gaza Strip we've been the well the UN more so than Hamas but certainly to the Gaza Strip we, we're, we're the major donor actually um, we're the we're the body that's pumping in a huge amount of money and we haven't really asked for Palestinians to hold elections they haven't happened since 2005 we haven't really press them on issues around human rights. We could do more to um, press them to uh, combat uh, terrorism and the growth, growth of militant groups. But it has been partially because Europe is divided on, on, on the question of Israel and Palestine. It's been a passive approach and I don't think that's sustainable. 
Could we do it? Uh, there are lots of people, and we heard them in the doll yeah, yesterday, advocating we act unilaterally. Like we take sanctions uh, against Israel. We even uh, expelling the ambassador. I, I, I mm. think most people think that's a bad idea because it, it will, uh, it, as you have said, cut off communication. But w- why not take sanctions? Why not act unilaterally? Yeah, I, I think I think those kind of calls. Um, I'm sure they come from a place, a place of frustration and horror at what's going on in the Middle East. Um, but they're coming almost entirely from people who have no experience of foreign policy, who have never once attended a European meeting, um, by which I mean a proper official EU meeting, have never represented their country abroad in, in a meaningful way. And we know how sanctions operate. Sanctions only work um, if they do more harm to the country being sanctioned uh, than the country that's imposing the sanctions. So when sanctions were imposed on Russia, South Africa, you name it, Iran, uh, they're done on a multilateral basis. Uh, if one country acts on its own, um, A, it's ineffective. The country being sanctioned isn't affected much. They don't really care. Uh, and you actually end up doing harm uh, sometimes to your own country because then you can become the victim of a counter boycott. Uh, and we know, for example, in, uh, in the US, there are people who will counter boycott anyone who boycotts Israel. Um, and do we really want to get into that space, particularly when it wouldn't help the Palestinians at all? So yeah. if, if you're going to take actions... Um, it's got to be particularly for a small country. You do so multilaterally, either as the EU or as the UN or even as a group of countries. Okay, can I ask you quickly about the uh, triple lock? We had a guest on from the anti-war movement saying this was a dilution of a neutrality. He was saying the whole argument that it was restricting us from um, sending Irish uh, peacekeeping troops abroad. He said that was a complete red herring. It it hadn't stopped us doing so. What well, your your response to that? Uh, I've never been a fan of the triple lock, um, nor is my party. Uh, so just to explain to your listeners, if we want to send Irish troops abroad, generally speaking, to serve in a peacekeeping mission, because, you know, we're not going to evade anyone, obviously, or get involved in anyone else's wars, um, you have to have three things, the support of the government, the support of the Dáil, uh, and a UN resolution. And obviously, um, there's a, and, and there's the a veto arises, in the, yeah, the yeah, UN. So, so the yeah. problem that arises is the UN resolution. And as the Tarnish pointed out the other day, uh, the UN hasn't uh, approved a peacekeeping operation in 10 years now. And that's down to China and Russia in particular, um, but potentially even the United States wielding the veto power. So to me, actually, it's it, 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 it would be a vindication of our sovereignty saying that we actually aren't going to allow Russia or China or America or Britain or France decide where or where we can send our troops. Um, so he says there's a danger we'll get end up getting in, uh, involved in in conflicts. For example, French interests somewhere uh, in Africa. If you know, if we don't have that UN uh, uh, safeguard, I think there's a danger that we won't be able to participate in any new peacekeeping operation uh, if we continue to allow um, the veto power of those great powers that won the war. 75 years ago and have nuclear weapons to decide where and where we can send our troops. Uh, like the, the ideal outcome, and this is what I've been advocating, is reform of the UN so that the Security Council works properly. Um, but, you know, I wouldn't be waiting around for that to happen. Uh, okay. Meanwhile, uh, there are places in the world that, you know, may be looking for our help, looking for our support. Uh, and I think we should uh, be open to that. But very clearly, you know, saying that for Irish troops to be sent anywhere um, you'd have to have not just the support of the government, but a vote of the Oireachtas, a vote of the Dáil and Shannon. So that would be the democratic authority. Okay. Yeah. And I don't honestly believe any party um, in Ireland would uh, wantonly send Irish troops uh, in, in, into a place of danger 
you know, I don't think we've, we've ever done that before and I, I don't think that that would be done deliberately again. Okay, uh, let's talk about the economy. How worried are you about the economic climate we're facing into this talk of negative growth uh, here next year, mm. even if it's technical rather than in reality? Uh, there is a kind of a general global slow, uh, slowdown. We've seen our corporation tax revenues dropping off pretty dramatically. How concerned are you about the economic picture? Well, I think since the end of the pandemic, we've experienced... Um, an economic boom. Uh, I remember saying during the pandemic that the economy would take off like a rocket once the pandemic was over, the restrictions were over, um, and it did, even more so than I thought. So more people at work uh, than ever before. Um, Incomes rising, which is really important, particularly at a time of inflation. Uh, And also the government finances in a really good place, um, able to pay down the debt and set aside money for the future. Um, But I think there are dark clouds on the horizon, quite frankly. Um, We're starting to see signs of that around the world with uh, the world economy slowing down. Um, We see the turbulence uh, in commodity markets caused by the trouble in in the Middle East and and in Ukraine. Um, There are capacity constraints in our economy too. And we're starting to see a fall off in corporate profits, um, which is going to affect the amount of money we take in in taxes. But the good thing is we're prepared for this. Um, We always factored into our plans that a lot of the money we're getting in from the big companies mightn't be there in a few years' time. Uh, And we've paid down the debt and we've also set aside uh, reserve funds and a significant surplus. Yeah. So we, we, we also can... have huge increase in spending. The demographics mm. are, are going against us. We haven't broadened the tax base. A lot of economists out there quite critical saying we haven't actually prepared for this and there's a day of reckoning coming. Yeah, I, I disagree. I actually think the demographics are going, going in our favour. Um, they create enormous challenges too, but I, I was making a speech at, at the court chamber dinner there the other night and I had to look at my own speech twice just to, just to get, get, my, get around my head. Uh, the last time I, I spoke at that at that dinner was five years ago, not all that long ago, 2018. There are 400,000 more people living in the country than five years ago, and there are 400,000 more people at work in the country uh, than was the case five years ago. So actually the demographics are going in our favour. Yeah, we will have more dependents, say, in 20 years' time. We will, and and that means means certain changes. And actually, you mentioned there that the tax base, a decision we made there the other day and confirmed it yesterday, was that there will be gradual increases in PRSI if we're going to continue to retire at 66 it has to be paid for. It can't be paid for by someone else. That's populism. It has to be paid for by you and me. We're the ones who are going to benefit from the fact that we'll retire at 66 and live to 86. Yeah. Um, and that's an example of where we have actually increased the tax base. Another area, and again, it's not popular, is the whole area of carbon tax. And that's widening the tax base, but also thinking ahead towards climate action. So I would argue that we actually have um, insulated the country from future shocks. Um, but we have to keep making the right decisions. If we don't, that could change. OK. Um, is your message for the next election going to be don't risk it? Is, or, 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 is that going to be your message? Don't risk change when there's change coming. Is, I, I get a hint of that from you. I, I, I'm not sure yet because um, the election's a while away and we'll decide on the message then. Um, but one thing I would say is this. Um, the world around us is changing at a really rapid pace. Um, this isn't the world I grew up in in the 1980s. Um, it's changed a lot um, and it's going to change even more. Um, our climate is changing and certain actions have to be taken uh, in order to deal with that. Our demographics are changing um, for reasons you mentioned in lots of different ways. Technology is changing everything, the world of work, social media, you name it. There's kind of two options in politics. There's the populist option, which is, you know, we can somehow make all this go away. Um, uh, and you see that a lot in the world at the moment. Or there's the kind of centrist progressive option, 
which is to say that these changes are inevitable. They can't actually be made to go away, but we can manage them and make sure that the transition is just okay. uh, and that you're protected. And that's, I suppose, the kind of philosophical argument I'd make elections are not. Okay, uh, a, f- a few things in the in the last few minutes we have with you, uh, Taoiseach. British Irish Council uh, meeting uh, tonight. Uh, Michelle O'Neill says it's time to discuss alternative arrangements for governing uh, Northern Ireland. Are you optimistic of a break two on the north in the next few weeks? Um, I'm, I'm afraid to be optimistic because there have been so many false dawns since the executive was brought down um, by the DUP um, on this occasion. Um, but there are talks ongoing behind the scenes between the governments and the parties. Um, they haven't been inclusive roundtable talks in the way that I would like. They've been largely bilateral talks, um, but they've been going a bit better in the last couple of weeks. And I'm retaining the hope that we'll be able to get the Assembly and Executive back up and running, uh, hopefully just before Christmas, if not in the new year. Um, but if that can't be done, then I think Michelle O'Neill is correct. This can't trundle on forever. Uh, and at a certain point, we do need to talk about uh, what we do uh, if the uh, Good Friday Agreement, if the um, Northern Ireland institutions can't okay. can't operate uh, under the existing rules. Okay, joint authority potentially. Well, there's there's, there's no provision for joint authority in yeah. the Good Friday Agreement. That's that's not what I mean. Um, but certainly Direct there rule. comes a point where the two. Well, there isn't provision that either. So there does come a point where the two governments, in particular, uh, the UK and the Irish government, have to sit down and talk about alternatives. But we're not there yet. Okay, uh, and All it's right. still it's still it's still I believe possible that we can. Uh, have devolved government back in Northern Ireland, and that's that's really important given all all the difficulties that everyday people are facing there. Uh, briefly on this uh, p- proposed referendum on women in the home that uh, in the constitution on March eighth, will the value of care provided in the home get an explicit mention? Should it get an explicit mention? And will there also be a separate referendum on a definition of the a new definition of the family? And is that something your ministers are all comfortable with? Well hasn't gone to Cabinet yet, so it's going to go to Cabinet on Tuesday. And we should be in a position then to release the wording uh, on Tuesday afternoon and proceed with the referendum in March. Um, There will be two referendums uh, and there's two different proposals. Um, One relates to the family. I need to be very clear on this because there will be people who try to misrepresent it. Uh, Family is protected in the Constitution and it will continue to be. Uh, The institution of marriage uh, is protected in the Constitution and it will continue to be. We didn't fight for marriage equality in order to diminish the position of marriage in our Constitution. But there's a a clause in our Constitution which says the family is based on marriage. And there are are lots of different types of families now. Families led by grandparents, led by lone parents. uh, And we want to modernise the Constitution to reflect that. Uh, to understand that there are families that are based on marriage and families not based on marriage. And then the second area relates to uh, some very old-fashioned language about the role of women in the home. Uh, And it's to replace that with more modern language to talk about the value of care in the home. All right. Um, uh, Just a couple of last things before we let you go. You've been very critical of Sinn Féin's liberal use of lawsuits. Fine Gael's own record in this respect is pretty poor. We've had a number of your TDs who've taken action. You yourself threatened to take legal action against Village magazine in 2020. Well, I can tell you that in 20-something years in politics, when lots of people have said lots of things about me that might have constitutional defamation. I've never even sent a sister's letter to anyone about anything. So You did um, you did release a statement though saying that they had published an article that was inaccurate and grossly uh, defamatory and you'd sought legal advice on it. Yeah, and, and I, I did I look I didn't pursue it in the end. I think what they said about me was incorrect. It's been proven to be incorrect by the way. Um but um but I decided not to bother quite frankly because there's more to life than spending your time uh, down the high court. And, are you, are and you saying Sinn Fein needs to develop a thicker skin? Um, no, I, I think if politicians are genuinely concerned about their 
a good name, uh, there's a process to follow. You can make a complaint to the public publication and they can respond. Sometimes they do, by the way. They retract, correct, apologise. If you're not happy, you can go to the press council or the press ombudsman. If your first port of call is to send a solicitor's letter and threaten someone to the high court, I think you're at something else. Uh, and I'm not the only one who thinks that. We've had uh, reporters Without Borders, the Daphne Caruana, Felicia Foundation, um, the Women and Journalists, a, a huge number of international bodies have done something extraordinary. They've written to the leader of Sinn Féin, the leader of one of the major parties in the state, expressing concerns about press freedom in Ireland because of the behaviour of her party and its representatives. Like, that's a big deal to me. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, imagine if Amnesty International wrote to uh, Micheál Martin and said that they were concerned about that Fianna Fáil was a threat to human rights. You know, it would be number one news or, 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 or to me in relation to Fine Gael. Yet we have these international agencies that represent press freedom, that defend journalists, um, that would be very critical of what Israel does to journalists, for example, uh, expressing a concern about okay. uh, Sinn Féin. And I think they need to reflect on that. 18 cases taken by Sinn Féin reps uh, so far, and they're the ones that are, are public. There's actually others that I know about that haven't been made public. Okay, two last quick things. Uh, the Oireachtas Committee apparently is going to back calls for widespread, widespread changes to the abortion law, recommend the government move without delay. It's only five years since voters were asked to change our abortion laws with very specific mm. restrictions in place. Are you comfortable now um, changing those re- restrictions just, as I say, just five years on? Is that something you're personally comfortable with? Is it something your government will move on? Well, we haven't actually got the report yet. It's on the way from the committee to the government. We're told it will recommend changes without, widespread changes without delay. When we, when we see it, we'll consider it and that'll be up to the Minister for Health initially to consider it and then uh, make proposals, if any, to government. Uh, this is an area on which we have a free vote. Uh, so it's going to be a little bit complicated as to how we bring it forward, um, if it's brought forward at all. Um, could, wh- could we see a Taoiseach? We have seen a Taoiseach in the past uh, voting against... Um, uh, uh, on a matter of conscience against something in the doll, you have to go back 50 years for it to happen. Could you, could you potentially vote against uh, this? I, I, look, I don't think we're at that point yet. We'd have to see what... We're pretty the, close to that point, Taoiseach. Uh, I, look, I'll have to see w- w- what's proposed. Um, you know, on my first day as Taoiseach in 2017, I, I promised that we would have a referendum to repeal the Eighth Amendment. We followed through on that within a year. Um, I know when I went out campaigning for a yes vote and encouraged people to vote yes, I told them that certain safeguards would be in place. Yeah. Um, and five years later, they're going to be. I, I think. Gone. We, I think it'd be difficult. It, you know, within one electoral cycle, uh, for us to say, well, actually, we're taking some of those. That sounds to me away. like you're uneasy about this. There isn't one proposal here. There are uh, a number, some that I think uh, are relatively minor modifications that might make sense. There are others, others that that are bigger. So. Look, I'll have to consider it in the round and, and okay. talk to my party in particular. Okay, uh, very final question. The philanthropist Carmel Nocton suggests organisations in the Republic with Royal in their name should consider dropping the word. Is it something you agree? I think the Royal Canal goes mm. through your constituency, doesn't it? It does, yeah. yeah we're not going to change that, though. <laughs> <laughs> Although nobody calls it the Royal Canal, they just call it the Canal. The canal. But, um, but um, ah, look, it's, it's up to those bodies to decide f- for themselves. We're, we're a Republic. We have been there since... 1949. Um, I have nothing against it. You know, it's it, it's a nice historical thing almost to have Royal in the name and it's part of tradition, but it's not the kind of thing I lose sleep over. So, yeah, fair. Uh, it's up to the individual bodies to decide for themselves. Taoiseach Leo Fragger, thank you for talking to News Talk Breakfast. News Talk Breakfast with Kira Kelly and Shane Coleman in association with AIR. Weekday mornings at 7 on News Talk.